0: Every now and then, I meet someone who's changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurists, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. What's going on, guys? In this episode of the podcast, I speak with Rob Whitehair and Alex Finden of the social media slash user-generated content app, Mammals. So Mammals is a cool concept that it utilizes story and storytelling through photos, video, audio, um, to allow people to give back to nature and wildlife and environmental and conservation issues that they care about uh, by essentially following those uh content creators those filmmakers those um, ecologists so essentially in that sense it's like twitch where if you see um you know you can follow someone that you like you can follow a specific topic that you like and you can donate you can tip to that person to encourage them to give to provide more of that content which is a really cool way of like democratizing um you know wildlife documentary filmmaking in a way that's traditionally been like held by only a handful of gatekeepers before in the past. Um, Mammal seems to open that up so that anyone can not only create content about, you know, nature and wildlife and the environment in general, but they can also make a living out of it, which I think is really cool. So during the course of the concert or the podcast, (laughs) we talk about, um, you know, where the idea came from, where Rob initially got the idea of mammals um how they both linked up like how rob and alex found each other which is really interesting and then also like where they plan on taking mammals and where mammals have taken them like where they have created content and where they have gone to really um you know get some really inspiring content to put on mammals and to show people what what can be in there um so one cool thing they did mention is, uh, you know, they're still in developing funding for this. They're still in getting, um, you know, the stage of, of getting investors. So they actually have a WeFunder account. Um, so it's under WeFunder, dot com uh, slash mammals, M-A-M-M-A-L-Z. And what they're doing, they're giving away, I think, three trips. Uh, one to see the, uh, you know, Bengal tigers in India, one to see Raja Ampat, um, to go diving in Indonesia and then another one to do a safari in Botswana. Um, so it's kind of a tiered system, you know, obviously the more you're able to donate or the more you're able to invest, the more, um, uh, like entries you get, but you can get a, you know, a single entry just with a hundred bucks, uh, which is pretty cool. And then they'll raffle it off. Um, but yes, three really cool trips. They mentioned two of them. They talked about two of them and how, um, amazing they were when they went, um, both to India and to Raja and Pat, how incredible those experiences were. Um, and what they're doing with that is they're giving, you know, most of that money or a lot of that money back into the communities. That's a big thing about uh, this app that I really, really like. It's not just developing money for a few small people. It's to give money back to people who traditionally have difficult times raising it, whether it's, you know, early career filmmakers or ecologists, biologists, or, You know these traditional places that rely on tourism that we all know is struggling right now are struggling right now. And yeah, I think that offer ends in July thirty first, so you have until then if you are interested to invest uh, to be eligible for one of those entries to one of those three, um, you know, uh, amazing trips. Um, this is a really fun podcast to do. Both Rob and Alex are really nice, uh, really interesting guys. Um, and you can tell they care a lot about conservation. They care a lot about, um, the areas that they've gone to and they care a lot about, you know, this app and putting money back into, you know, people who are trying to create content and trying to spread awareness, um, and trying to get the word out about conservation. So, you know, I always support that. I love that. Um, but yeah, as always, uh, if you find it in your hearts <laughs> to, like to review to what else follow that's a big one Uh, all that stuff you can do on a podcast please do it um yeah enjoy this episode i'm sure you will all right so i'm here with rob whitehair and alex Finden of the new nature social media app mammals thanks for coming guys i really appreciate it
1: thanks for having us Yeah. yeah thank you
0: is that right? Uh, classifying it as as a social media app. Do you want to talk a little bit about what uh, Mammals is and what you know what you envision for it?
1: Sure. Well, it in in one respect, um, it's a social media uh, app um, in that it has um, a pretty intricate social function to it. Um, but it is most definitely a user generated content platform. Um, So basically, we have opened up the nature media um, in a way democratizing it to allow people all over the world to be able to uh, show us nature how you see it. Um, And that can be in any form of media. We're really pushing live streaming and and vlogging um, as two forms of really up-and-coming Uh, creator type of content that is really engaging and lends itself to more of an interactive um, uh, type of experience for people. Um, Both of us come from the wildlife film world and that has historically been um, all in the broadcast realm. Mm -hmm. Um, So a very passive experience and it takes a really long time to make those films. Um, And, um, and then people see it on TV once maybe, and then you usually probably forget about it or think, well, that was a really good program and then it's gone and you don't see it again. Um, and that's kind of a travesty in a number of ways because it takes so long to make that, you know, you kind of want the ability for people to see more of it and be able to interact with you about it. Yeah. Um, on the other side, um, Usually the the, the um, subject that you're making a film about is something you're very passionate about. And um, it usually involves some type of conservation or environmental issue, uh, wildlife issue. And because it takes so long that um, often that subject um, and the status of that subject changes as you're making a film. So if we look at it in a way where rather than having these long form programs and don't get me wrong i absolutely adore these long form programs i love broadcast i love wildlife films but if we want to be really effective about how we communicate about nature giving people a chance to make shorter form content or live stream where you can go for an hour or two hours or longer and take people on a journey with you and not only is that something where they can just watch you, but they can also ask questions while you're doing it. And we think that's, that's the point when you interact with people and they feel a sense of belonging with you as that content creator, as that personality. Um, and they can connect to you and hence connect to that subject. Um, so... I find it is like this is really ripe territory because, yeah. like I said, we have been in this world where it it's just been a very linear type of uh, production um, and content, and now we're looking at something different.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's I heard some of your interviews, and you're kind of like comparing it to the Twitch of nature programs, which I think is a really interesting way of like looking at it i don't understand twitch i don't know what the hell is going on there but i know some people love it and i know that there's a there's a a business structure behind there right i know that there's a, a you know people who want to see this type of content and people who want to provide this type of content
2: well so it was a great experiment that twitch ended up running maybe unintentionally i'm sure that I don't want to take away the genius level of the people that came up with this whole system in the first place but um, the level of success that they've had has certainly been something that nobody expected right um essentially they wanted to build a place for the gaming community video gaming where people could watch other people play games play tournaments against each other and they could interact with those viewers. And really what changed the game was the two way communication pathway, where now instead of somebody just live streaming content to you like a news broadcast, you get to be part of the content and the experience for the other viewers by chatting in real time, not just back and forth with the person creating the content, but also with everybody else who's watching And so as a viewer, you get this feeling of community, you start interacting with other people who you've never met in a digital space, and you can have almost a directorial approach to what you're watching with the input, the questions, the suggestions, the requests that you have to the creator. And so when you do that long enough and frequently enough, Those conversations lead into friendships that you create with these other people who have common interests who are watching the content for a reason. They all love that stuff, right? And it doesn't matter if somebody's watching from Japan or Tanzania or Mexico, like everybody has these same sort of passions and everybody's having the same real time experience. Um, Even if there's a language barrier, you know, you have ways to express your emotions with imagery through like emotes and things like that and uh and then when you collect all those people and bring them together after years of streaming together you put them in one place in real life like TwitchCon is something they spun off as a convention for the community and it's really really grown i mean this last year Uh, prior to the pandemic, it was down in San Diego and just totally filled up the convention center and was sold out immediately. And they had thousands and thousands of people here who all at this point personally know each other, even though they've never met in person. And they know their fan, their, their heroes are there. They get to go meet those heroes in person and have these real conversations with people they look up to. And you can't get that anywhere else. Like you can't just go like, I'm going to go visit Hollywood and meet all of my favorite celebrities. Like that's not a thing that you can do and you, and you don't know who else is there with the common interests either. So it really is this unique experience that's completely community-based that has made it possible for tens of thousands of people to make a living doing what they love and for millions of other people to find a sense of community in something that they're passionate about. And so that model, is what we want to apply to people who love nature. Because we feel like there's a lot of similarities between nature nerds and gaming geeks. <laughs> we, all, we all get way too into the subject matter. We have a lot of passion behind it. We don't tend to be the most socially acute people, and so like there's not saying? a lot of opportunities.
0: <laughs> I feel like you're looking right there's at me a... when you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> there, there
2: aren't a, historically a lot of ways that we've been able to form those larger <laughs> communities in the past, except for like maybe conventions, right? And uh, so this is an outlet for people that they really haven't had. Like you can find media about nature in a digital space on youtube on facebook on instagram but you're not getting a sense of community in those places with people that you don't already know right like you're you're interacting with things in sort of this shallow level and with something like mammals where we really focus on that two-way engaging interaction with each of the content creators being sort of like the community leaders you do get to go to that deeper level and form those relationships and bonds. And in the process, you end up doing what you all set out to achieve in the first place, which is making a difference in the natural world. Because if you fall in love with somebody's story, like Rob was saying, and there's some sort of a conservation issue behind it, well, if you feel like that person has given you a social sphere that you didn't have before and you really value that, you're going to tip them and so that's how a lot of these platforms are monetized is there's a tipping currency or a subscription model like specific to you where you get to reap most of those benefits and you can do whatever you want with that money a lot of people use it to fundraise for charity so um yeah that's that's essentially what mammals is
0: that's cool and it's cool that you guys can come at it from both sides, right? You're both nature appreciators, but you're also, you know, content creators. You come from a long, you know, you both have history of creating content, of being in the uh, film production field. Is that kind of what spawned the idea or where did you get the, you know, how did the idea of Mammals come about?
1: Well, so I had been making wildlife films for 20 years and it was all in the broadcast realm. Um, I did a couple of theatrical theatrical documentaries was sort of a a way of when when the advertising dollars in the broadcast realm started shrinking because younger people weren't watching television we were looking for other avenues and at the time feature documentaries was sort of a growing realm and so we made a couple of feature documentaries um, got released in theaters to a you know the, the large markets, a very, very small release in the scheme of it. Um, but it was another way of getting the message out there to people. Um, but I knew all along that there had to be another way. And I had this in my head for a long time that maybe at some point in time, we'd have to create our own platform. And he didn't know exactly what that was, but I knew that it couldn't just be television on the internet (laughs) that that wasn't exactly something that would would work or nor, nor could we really compete in that realm because there are already people doing that um what i knew that had to happen the difference was that it had to have a social element to it and so i um along with my wife pam we'd been living up in missoula montana for 20 years and um i was on the board of the international wildlife film festival and we were running a a lab basically a filmmaker lab um that uh paired young uh, or uh, young to mid-level uh scientists with young to mid-level media makers and um the lab was basically giving them teaching them everything that they needed to know of how you take a production from concept to finish. And they had to do that in seven days. Um, And with with a professional client, whether it be World Wildlife Fund or somebody, you know, like university client or whatever it may be, to make basically a five minute film that that person would use. And I mean, it's an intense program. And there were so many moving parts to it. And I um, was sort of tasked with sort of watching over just to make sure that this is a program that would even work, um, because I was on the board of directors of the film festival at the time. And that's when I first met Alex. And Alex was basically running the whole operations of that. And I saw how in such a short period of time with so much pressure, here was this guy who was making everything look effortless. But from my perspective, like all of those parts, like cameras needing to be delivered on time or the order wasn't right for the cameras. So all these things had to happen and everything had to happen now. And he just made it all happen. And um, it impressed me so much that, you um, I approached him about this. Because um, the one thing I knew for me is that um, I know what I can and I, and I know what I can't do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's probably a gift over 20 years of just realizing the, all the things that I can't do. Um, so I was pretty skilled in knowing what I can't do and um, knew I needed to find somebody that could fill in you know, all of that. Somebody who was very talented in all the details that could take this sort of broader picture that I kept having in my head and we could hone in things and operationally make it happen. So I pitched this to Alex and it took about six months to convince him that I wasn't crazy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, literally six months to convince him I wasn't crazy. And, um, and then he came back and he said, basically, yes. And you know if he was gonna do this though, he wanted to be an equal partner. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. Um, And then he said, have you heard of Twitch? And of course, I didn't. I hadn't heard of Twitch at the time. And I thought when he said people watch other people play video games, I thought, you're you're kidding me, right? (laughs) And then it was like, no, not only am I not kidding you, but Amazon just bought them for a billion dollars. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to this. And when he told me what happens with twitch the light bulb went off and that's when we were we really understood at that time that that type of model is something that translates really well to the nature community people are always looking for a way to how can i give back how can i what can i do and that's the big question i always got from people is you know you see you you a film, film you spend all this time and you show it at a festival and you're in front of people and the thing the first thing they say is what can I do right. yeah and the only thing in a film that you can do normally especially in a broadcast film is well at least you used to be able to do this because they showed credits on broadcast which they don't do anymore they show they tell you to go see the credits on the internet but you that's where you would have this plea in the end credits and that's if somebody, at the very end of the film,
0: yeah, the wanted,
1: to, wanted to watch, right? And so it was very inefficient and frustrating at times that you would have to point people in a direction that made them do other things other than maybe just press a button and they could just donate um, or volunteer or whatever it may be. So that type of interactivity has always been something that's eaten at me that we need to do better. Like what is it about this business that we can do better to to help people when they say, "What can I do?" And so in this situation, like this is a this is a perfect situation to to be able to give people the tools to donate or do something right at the time when the emotion is the greatest. Um, and so that's what's so exciting about this. I really do feel like we're on to something that could have profound effect on conservation in the ability of organizations, filmmakers, scientists to be able to raise funds for conservation purposes and for science.
0: That's incredible. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the one thing I that dissuades me from a lot of other platforms is it's pretty hedonistic but like you guys you know that can go directly to conservation i mean you hear every day about young biologists and ecologists how they can't sustain themselves how difficult it is you know, young filmmakers how you know difficult of a of a industry it is to break into uh so i love that <laughs> i love that aspect that you guys are working on uh, alex i do want to hear your side of the story like did you feel like he was crazy for the first six months yeah how did that work
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go into that in a second, but I just
0: want to I want to comment
2: on something that you just said about like both early career scientists and early career filmmakers having like sort of an equally challenging time finding funding, even though they're both very different models. Um, it's true, and something like this could hopefully help both of those issues. That I think was the biggest motivator for me wanting to work with Rob in the first place was um, when I met Rob. I was actually in the middle of producing a documentary that I had stitched a team together to do, and this was attempt number 27, right? Like I've just been trying to do this for the last eight years and never never actually got funding prior to making the film. And then like maybe once you scrap up enough of your own money from doing side gigs, you can produce it yourself and try to sell it after. And even then like it just n- never happens. And then it never gets out to eyes and the story crumbles. And um, this that whole career and all those frustrating times happened as my plan B because my plan A was I was going to go into research science. I started in biology and I actually had a film background, but I really loved science when I started getting into the nitty-gritty of biology and university and I did one year <laughs> of research and after realizing what the grant writing process looked like and that it was so hard to get money for the types of science that interested me, and like that really focused on wildlife and not on benefiting humans. Mm-hmm. I just thought, well, that's going to be an uphill battle and I can't really affect that many people either. Cause when I presented my research from that first year, I maybe had like 12 people in the room and I did it once. And that was it. That was like a year's worth of effort Good. to do that and affect those people and mate. And then, you know, yeah, you get a publication and it goes into a journal, but that journal is only available to academia right. and you have to pay a bunch of money to read it. And nobody in the, like greater public will ever know anything about it and so that's why i ultimately decided okay filmmaking is a better vehicle um and i don't want to write grants i'm going to go into filmmaking yeah no (laughs) joke (laughs) (laughs) yeah turns out it's like even harder to get money in filmmaking (laughs) and you still have to write grants um so coming up with a new way Like just totally disrupting it from the ground up through a platform seemed like, you know what, that almost sounds easier than me trying to get funding for one film.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a way to circumvent the system that's pretty antiquated to begin with.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, now it's been three years since I made that decision to start working with Rob and I can tell you it's not easy, but I definitely love what I'm doing every single day, working toward that, that opportunity to like, totally democratize these um these new funding options for people like me who were all inspired by the steve irwins and the david attenboroughs like when we grew up um not only do we need to provide that inspiration for people younger than us but like we need to provide jobs for all these people who are fired up to actually make a difference otherwise it's not going to happen so that's that's been the main driver for me for making this thing happen um, but yeah, when Rob, when Rob first pitched the idea, of course it was like, start a new channel or a new platform. Like, it is insane. It, it's, it was insane. It still is insane. But the funny thing that we learned later, I actually don't think I realized this at the time when I was contemplating working with Rob. I went through my emails at one point to see like, what was the first communication Rob and I had And I found something that I didn't expect. It was an email that I had sent to Rob about a year and a half prior to meeting him at the film festival (laughs) when I was moving to Montana in the first place, because I knew I was going there to break into the wildlife film industry. And I had all this experience. I was living in Hawaii, like diving professionally and just getting a bunch of skills with my underwater camera. That was my niche approach to the industry. And so... I reached out to the film festival and I said, okay, you need to reach out to this guy, Rob, because he's like, you know, the head honcho here and he's the guy who could get you into the, into the business in in Montana. um, So I sent out this heartfelt email and never heard anything back.
1: (laughs) I'm never going to live that down. Oh man,
2: seriously. (laughs) I
1: feel so bad about that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, you know, I guess the I just you just needed a first impression in person.
0: Yeah, <laughs> spam filter. Just say it went to another folder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I, so, so I've
0: seen uh I've seen your you know history, uh, and that you were felt you know you did a lot of underwater diving, um, and underwater mm-hmm. uh, photography. Um, so do you guys have content currently on mammals, and what does that you know what does that center around? Do you have specialties that you work with?
2: I mean what we've really strived to educate people about with regards to content on mammals is that you do not have to be a professional like not even close i'd say 90% of the content on there was shot with an iphone mm. i mean it's it's a platform for people to share their experiences in nature and that might be you know a wildlife photo you took with your camera that you brought on your Yellowstone trip, but it might be the photo that you snapped of a flower when you were walking your dog yesterday, you know? So um, in terms of what types of content you see on there, there there's a lot of wildlife content. There are a lot of birders on the platform. People love birds and they yeah, love yeah. herps too, which are like snakes, mm-hmm. lizards. Um, of course, I'm rallying for more underwater content. I'm trying to post the best of what I've got. There's a few other people <laughs> on there who've got some, some cool underwater stuff. I understand that it's harder to produce content underwater, okay? Harder. But but still, I mean, we need some ocean representation on there. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's very mixed. And it, it can even go toward like outdoor recreation too, like climbing, rock climbing, scuba diving, um, or even just casually like, Hiking, traveling, going on adventures with your friends and family. So, um, we even had a theme week a couple weeks ago that was cats versus dogs. And so people (laughs) were just posting like their best experiences with their domesticated animals and like saying why they.
0: Oh, I agree. (laughs) We all know that. Put that to bed right now.
2: (laughs) But so, if that gives you an idea, I mean, we really are looking for. People who love nature, love a lot of different things about nature and they define it as a lot of different things. And we've done our best to not define it. Just let people share what they want in any quality with any type of story, as long as it connects people to nature, there are no rules, except for not bullying.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As long as, I mean, really the, the, uh, the crux of it is as long as it's about nature, interpret that for what you you think that it is and that adds to the discourse of like how we all view nature it's it's been this interesting thing because so many so much of the these fantastic wildlife films come from about a dozen gatekeepers who tell us tell the rest of the world like this is what nature is and while i love it and i think it's been such so inspirational for me and a lot of others there are so many other voices out there who tell stories in a totally different way and they don't you know it's not just the like sort of omniscient narrator you know saying this is nature and sort of that godlike voice right and that works in a certain realm but now there's so many other things that we can do you know, turning the camera on ourselves and just saying, Hey, I'm going to go out hiking. Let's go see what I find. And that sense of discovery that you could have at that moment in time, when somebody sees a lizard or a snake and they don't know what it is. And then they turn the camera to it. And it's like, Oh, what is this? And somebody from the community can say, Oh, here's what type of lizard that is all of a sudden. Like the dots get connected and people are like, Oh, this is so cool. I want to be part of this. I mean, we see that. We see people who are making stories about, like uh, an archaeologist, making stories about uh, anthropogenic uh, landscape change um, and how humans have, over, over our, you know, recent history, have, are really affecting the landscape. And it's so cool to see that from an archaeologist's perspective, mm. something that you wouldn't normally see on any nature channel yeah. um and a mushroom guy who like travels all over the world and he's just like oh here's this mushroom and here's that mushroom and oh this is so cool and look where i am and it's just so crazy cool like it's just like oh my god i learned so much about mushrooms and i've seen three of his like <laughs> 10 minute programs that i feel like wow where else would you have seen this it's, it's that type of thing we're really encouraging people to really think outside the box and don't just follow in the footsteps of what you think that nature media is, you know, the Steve Irwin type of programming, the David Attenborough type of programming. There's a place for that. And then there's this whole other creative realm to just open up your mind and let loose on like, show me what nature means to you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you put cultures into this. The different cultures around the world, the way people tell stories and the, you know, thinking about like uh, Maasai people who completely tell stories in a different way and mm. to be able to actually see nature from their perspective, what does it mean to them? It's certainly, you know, there are elements that are the same and the nature itself is just nature it does what it does right Mm -hmm. but it's that interpretation of how we connect to it that is different for all of us and that's the root of what we're really trying to get to because that's what's going to open up a whole new understanding and i think really bring us together not just in our understanding of nature but it's going to bring us together as people
0: that's pretty cool (laughs) and if we didn't need it before this we sure as hell need it now (laughs) Um, What kind of tips do you guys have for someone who's trying to either get involved in, in, you know, documentary filmmaking or someone who's trying to get involved and just make their films look better? Whether it's equipment, whether it's just, you know, general being in the moment, capturing the moment uh, kind of tips.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you should always be trying to tell a story. And I know that's like so basic. But now that we're in this world where you can post 15 second videos about things and entertain people that way, it doesn't mean you still can't tell a story in those 15 seconds. But man, do I see a lot of content where people don't even try?
0: Hmm.
2: You know, I think people think that because the format's changing, they need to like take snippets out of a greater story to adjust their approach to storytelling and then what you end up with is like, what if I just see one of those snippets, I just get to see like a montage of your drone shots, right? And that's it. Like, and I'm guilty of this, too. Like a lot of my stuff that I post trying to be a notable cinematographer is just look at these beautiful shots that I took when I was underwater. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really telling a straightforward story with, with that material. And it's that's why it's not very popular.
0: <laughs> how do you tell like, those stories? How, how does that even happen? Like, well, without a narrative?
2: I mean, I mean, you just have to. You mean, how do you tell a narrative in such a short amount of time?
0: Yeah, in such a short amount of time, or without you know someone doing a voiceover like the traditional voiceover.
2: Oh sure. Well, it you can again. It goes back to rubs. Uh, request to be creative and get away from this traditional presenter style story that you would see in like the classical animal planet shows. Um, those are still really good ways to present information and facts to people and tell a quick story. In fact, there's a whole community on TikTok that tells stories about the natural world from a presenter standpoint, where the person, you know, holds the camera in front of their face while holding some other object or being in a location and talking about it for 10 seconds and Mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's like some of the most fascinating stuff i've learned all day and it's and it takes no time at all and and that might be the same little nugget that you get that inspires you to do something else from like an hour-long film so it's just about knowing what is going to get people thinking about a certain topic or what's going to give them a piece of inspiration that they need to go off on their own Rabbit hole of discovery, right? So it's you don't have to be like here's my introduction, my plot, and my <laughs> you know the, the the climax of my story yeah. and the resolution. Like that's great if you're telling if you have a longer format to tell the story in which you certainly do on mammals. You can post an hour long film if you want, um, but a lot of people nowadays are like they'd rather watch a string of short edited things that are. On average about seven minutes long that's like what you see on youtube people shoot around that duration and uh and so that's that's the number one thing i would tell people is just like stop stop looking up tutorials on youtube of like how to do certain camera tricks and how to use certain editing tools that to make your stuff like you know look sexier because it can look amazing but if it doesn't tell a story it's not going to go viral it's not going to get people to actually change the way they behave or the way they think. And if that's your ultimate goal, then you need to use more than good cinematography and camera tricks.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point. So the other thing too is we've reached an age now where technology has given us this amazing tool called a smartphone and the cameras are absolutely amazing. The footage that you can get from a smartphone now rivals the footage from the early HD cameras that cost $100,000 from Sony. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's insane what we have the ability to do now with a tool that most everybody has in their hand. And so you remove that barrier to entry to say, start with your phone, start with what of and just start getting creative i mean even like steven soderbergh is making a whole series of feature films that are made from an iphone right and like he's got them on netflix right now and it's insane to watch i watched one of them and i didn't know at the time that that was shot on an iphone it blew me away and So if you take that and you think, wow, so you we've already got these tools, people in Africa and India, they all have phones. And it's like, you don't have to go buy expensive equipment to do this. You even have editing programs right on the phone now and the ability to deliver this right to mammals, right from the phone. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy to create content. And I think, at least for us, personalities will work really well. Um, You know, telling stories from sort of a first person perspective um, and showing us the world in, in how you see it, Um, allowing people, I've always said this about the interesting thing when you think about how, how do people connect to nature? And I'm much more a believer that, that if you look at, like if if we actually took statistics about how people connect to nature, they connect to it much better. If there's a bridge between them and the actual subject in nature, if somebody like a Steve or one of David Attenborough, or Jane Goodall mm-hmm. has, you know, that this come across as this very passionate person. I love this. Look at this. This is amazing. That is an easy in to say, here's footage of a cat. You should love this cat because this cat's endangered and drop what you're doing and love this cat. Mm-hmm. That's a much harder sell than for somebody to make an emotional plea because we're humans. We tell stories and we tell stories to each other and that's how we communicate. And so when you put that together and you think, oh my gosh, we can do this right from a phone I can tell all the stories in the world. It's not gonna cost me a lot of money to do. And I can start getting a community of people to listen to me and perhaps even donate and tip me and maybe get subscriptions. And I can start to maybe make a career out of this. And that hope right there, that ability to be able to tell stories from the easiest form of equipment that we have right now, I think is a total game changer. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I tried to buy it. Looks like an XT three or something like that. Uh, a relatively nice camera. And then I just kind of looked down. I was like, "Well, I'm holding a pretty damn good camera right now." So I just got, uh, you know, a um, what is it? A stabilizer for my iPhone. I don't yep. know. The, I don't know the difference. I mean, I'm not too nuanced enough to to figure it out. But it looks great. You know, anything you can film on your phone is great. And what you were saying about like uh, storytelling, I know that um, I think Jane Goodall has a um, like a masterclass and it's all about that. It's all about storytelling and about how that is going to either help combat climate change or help, you know, particular species or just help conservation in general. It's kind of really the only weapon that we have. It's the only thing that's available
1: absolutely agree with you so um there are a couple of interesting resources so um i'm a huge fan of robert mckee um robert mckee in his story seminar i've been to it was a very life-changing experience for me i know it's very strict and stringent and um and it's very quirky um but it's amazing the number of people who've gone through that who've been the award winners of their films of their novels whatever it may be there's something about what he is able to tell you about story and I think the big thing is less about the structure of story and more about story being the art that Mm -hmm. connects each of our hearts to each other and like deep down inside, that's where our emotion lies. And Jane Goodall gets that. David Rattenborough gets that. Um, and there's another one called uh, Peter Goober. So Peter Goober, uh, he was, I believe, the head of Sony for a while and Mandalay Media Arts. He's, um, he wrote a book called Tell to Win. And basically was how he was more successful than anybody else in pitching people about absolutely crazy ideas, crazy movie ideas. Why would these get signed you know, and, and, and funded? And it was all about being able to tell a story. Hmm. And you know, if you can connect people on a story, you're gonna get to the inner circle of who they are. And that's how you get conversations. And I started learning this over the years of pitching Because at first, when I was pitching programs, I would pitch, well, here's the science behind it. And everybody would be like, yeah, "Yeah, well, yeah, great. So are you a scientist or are you a filmmaker? So which is it? You know, and and it was hard at first to do. And and over time, I really got good at telling a story and being able to bring people into my world, connect with them on a one-to-one basis, And then make them feel what they would be seeing in that story. Hmm. And that's how I got my films commissioned. Story is hugely powerful. Can't emphasize it enough.
0: Hmm. And like you're saying, just the way to tell us just having the story is the first part. Then the way to tell a story, whether it's with 15 seconds or no narrative or this or that, uh, that can evolve that can change that has changed in, you know just the past few years um oh yeah in terms of like where can people see some of your work and, and where has your work taken you guys
2: well i mean <laughs> the, the, the truth is the majority of my work has assisted other people's work and so i don't have a full library of films or anything like that to share um, a lot of my personal experiences that i've had on Expeditions to do research or on, you know, fun trips to go capture new footage of animals. Um, I try to share the best of them in highlights in places like social media and places like mammals. A lot of the stuff that I've shot in the past has been on mammals, and it's definitely in that format that I just instructed everybody to not do. So. <laughs> maybe i'll have to go back and rephrase some of those uh, highlights and tell more of a story uh, <laughs> um, but uh but but rob certainly has some better distribution for some of his films
1: yeah so the interesting thing is so much of the work in the broadcast realm like i said it was like on broadcast it doesn't really it like it it didn't it does. It's not in the digital space right now. You can see one of the films that I did for National Geographic. Um, it's now on Amazon Prime. It's called Hollywood Fox. Um, it's about the San Joaquin kit fox, um, and that's a fun little story about a fox uh, family that's trying to survive in the middle of Bakersfield, California. Not the um, not the romantic place that wildlife filmmakers would choose to to go tell a story yeah, it's important but, but it is important and it's a really awesome story about um wildlife and the human um urban interface um so that's a cool story to tell i have a couple films uh, that are uh available to rent on vimeo um and and then you know um I just encourage people to jump onto mammals because that's where we're putting a lot of stuff now. I'm, I had a uh, feature films that I made called the ecology of jazz. And mm. it was a total art film <laughs> that was, we had, um, we had the, the privilege of going to this amazing um, art. Uh, it was a, a, a jazz venue, but it was in a guy's house in the middle of, missoula montana and somehow he convinced these world-class jazz artists to divert while they're traveling from new york to san francisco to stop in missoula montana of all places (laughs) and play in his living room for 60 people And that experience for those jazz artists was more profound than anything they'd get in jazz clubs in new york or anywhere else because there were 60 attentive people no clanging dishes nobody drunk people right. just 100% into the subject listening and when we were interviewing them so many of the jazz artists derived influence from nature and mm-hmm. that got me thinking you know what what is that like what what is that you know how do you explain that and <laughs> what we realized is that asking a genius jazz artist to explain their genius and how they connect to that sort of takes the genius away from what they've done and yeah so what i ended up doing was to create a a story that was told through sort of beat poetry something that would go with jazz and create these montages of connecting to nature and who we are as people and how we connect to nature and then allow that to allow the breathing space in between those montages to be like a full jazz piece. Hmm. Total concept art film. I had no idea whether it was going to work or not. And it ended up getting picked up in film festivals and people really connected to it. I've taken those montages, the nature montages now, and i put those on mammals as sort of an example of you don't have to think like this certain way that you make a film, like you can do this. It's all in black and white. It's all poetry and nature. And that kind of stuff is just a great example of like how to think outside the box and the things you really can do now.
0: Right it's this far reaching. This is, you know, you can do everything on there. You can put everything. on. Yep. Uh, Totally related. Um, what about where have you guys gone? That are your favorite places to shoot?
2: (laughs) Well, I think that I spoiled myself somewhat recently. I (laughs) I went on a, uh, well, actually I got spoiled twice. (laughs) So, so I got spoiled above water and below water. (sighs) Um, actually Rob and I, uh, last April, was it just last April?
0: It was. Yeah. yeah. Um, like 2019, we, <laughs> 2020 April, 20, 20 2019. 2019. Okay. Yeah. Before the world. We, stopped. uh, right. yeah.
2: <laughs> Back when time existed. Right. <laughs> um, we, uh, did a trip to India to work with some of the developers that we had, uh, brought onto our team there. Make sure that everybody was on the same page and so we spent a while in in the uh the delhi chaos which was fun in a way for sure like i it was my first time ever being to india and experiencing the food there and all the people was incredible but yeah. um you know very sensory overload mm-hmm. first for somebody coming from southern california <laughs> um but then the second half of that trip we went to a place called Rentabor National Park, which is one of the most successful forests to have a thriving population of tigers, wild tigers. Um, it was a, a conservation project that, over about 25, 30 years, was able to fully restore the tiger population. And now the problem is they have too many. (laughs) So I'm trying to figure out what to do with them and relocate them to other places. But, But going into this jungle book setting in real life and seeing the diversity of animals that were there, and then also seeing tigers like inside of an old abandoned mosque with like vines growing all over it, this beautiful orange and black tiger that's like cleaner than you would even see them at the zoo like it just baffled me um so that was definitely one of my favorite places like i had i still have dreams about being in that place it was just so otherworld
0: i've seen that footage that did look incredible and it was like like, yeah like you were saying like very jungle book-esque yeah, <laughs> did it get to the point where you were like bored of them? Like, oh man, another tiger! Damn it! No, <laughs> okay, no. Yeah, okay. I mean,
2: they're they're wild cats. They're so elusive. Like, it's not like they were just handing sightings out to you. You know, oh, yeah. we would we would be driving around all day hoping we might see one, and and we got lucky. We saw about one each day.
0: That's good. Um, That's but good. But yeah.
2: the rest of the time, you know, you're you're just waiting and and honestly, like that, those were some of the most memorable moments as well where just yeah. where you would pull off to the side of the road and sit by a river and you'd still have you know 30 different species of birds coming by and different types of ungulates and uh i don't know sometimes we would like see bears and then there's always monkeys coming in they're always fun to you know interact with them so just just sitting there waiting for a tiger to like pop out of the forest and experiencing the rest of what this place had to offer just sitting there hearing the sounds taking it all in you don't even notice that it's 110 degrees outside
0: (laughs) (laughs) those days are exhausting too man i've done a couple safaris and just constantly being on lookout constantly just searching for anything but at the end of the day you're just wiped (laughs)
2: yeah that was an incredible experience i just i won't go into quite as much detail about the underwater one but i feel like i i did mention it so i should i should uh say briefly before that trip i think it's the fall prior to that i was fortunate enough to go on this research expedition to indonesia with a bunch of very wonderful people with A lot of achievements in different disciplines so we had people who were fine artists we had people who were coral researchers had fish experts we had uh, microplastics experts Mm. and we were surveying each of these components uh, to see what the overall health of the reefs were around an area called Raja Ampat which is uh kind of right at the heart of the coral triangle it's one of the most biodiverse places to dive and so we wanted to know you know how what's the baseline right now how many fish are here how diverse are they how many corals are here how healthy are they how much plastic is in the water right. here even though this is miles from yeah. civilization um and when we go back in 10 years and do it again how's that going to change
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that that's the goal for all these trips is to see if we can return and see how that baseline has shifted. Um, but uh, you know, on a positive note, things are actually looking fairly good in this place. It's very well conserved section of the reef and uh, being in a cloud of fish all the time, and then having manta. Arrays come swoop in through your view while you were looking at some super cool mantis shrimp or some like interesting wabagong shark sitting underneath a re- like any everywhere you went you were seeing something that you had never seen before mm-hmm. at least for me and that it's hard to beat that like it, especially with underwater environments because the things you see are just unexplainable like they're so weird you know <laughs> yeah
0: i i lived in so. thailand for a little bit and i did go diving a little bit in indonesia and the way i would describe uh-huh. it was like if you're walking down the street and all of a sudden like the stop sign start like runs away from you it's like what it was <laughs> down under there because it's like you think this is just a rock and then it swims away or you're like you're saying like a manta comes up from behind you and it's just it's the most incredible it's slightly terrifying because you're completely out of your element but it's it's so cool never made it to Raja Ampat yeah. though. that was definitely like that's like the you know the quintessential dive spot um I kicked myself for not yeah. being gone but that sounds awesome
2: well I'm just gonna make a quick plug on that note because Raja Ampat is actually one destination option for a trip that we will be giving away as part of a fundraising campaign that we're doing for mammals so we really wanted to capture that community experience all the way down to the ownership of the company. Like this is how we're running mammals is we're letting people who believe in what we're doing own shares in the company at this early stage through this WeFunder campaign. And so we wanted to of course reward them with things that they find exciting, like say uh, African safari or a trip to take a tiger safari in Ranthambore yeah. national park, the one we just talked about, yeah. Yeah. um, or to go on a diving excursion in Rajan And so, um, of course, if you are, a, a, an accredited investor, you can just outright buy those opportunities, but, um, we are giving away one of those trips to any level of investor. Once we hit $250,000 in our total fundraise. Um, so that's, that's a pretty exciting opportunity.
1: Yeah, man,
0: you know I saw that for sure. I, I like two of the trips you just mentioned were on that and the other ones in Botswana, they all sound incredible, so. Oh, sorry, and Rob, what about uh you? Where like what is your big trip? Uh
1: you know, your- Oh, you know um I was going to say India because it's just so incredible. I you know just um The feeling for me i've described it every time i talk about it it's as if you get dropped right into the middle of an indiana jones movie and like everything about it feels just like that you're racing down the road and like some jeep you know that's (laughs) like open jeep and just all these people around you and this, this culture that's so different than anything that I had been around, people everywhere. And then you go through these large stones, you know, like amazing structure that's just a, an old ancient structure that's vines and, you know, just all kinds of vegetation around it. Monkeys sitting there lining up the whole entry to it. You go through and it's like you're all of a sudden in this other world. And like it's just magic. The only other place that I've experienced that particular feeling is in the Northern Rockies in Montana when you're in the forest and you step foot into wilderness where no wheeled vehicles are allowed, no machinery is allowed. You're in the wilderness, and the further back you get, that feeling of just total connection to the land, to just the the natural world is something that's so profound. I would recommend that anybody who's never taken a trip into the wilderness to do it because it's definitely a life-changing experience. The other place that I totally want to plug because I think it's the wildest place on the planet. And that's Big Sur. I spent so much time in Big Sur as part of a, a film that was made there. Um, and the things when you can spend time there and understand why Big Sur is as wild as it is you start to see these things that happen and like to me it's the greatest meeting of land and sea Mm. it's just to go from these enormous peaks all the way down to the ocean and then right there there's humpback whales and blue whales and orcas and otters and gulls on the beach that are being hunted by bobcats and i mean it's just mind-blowingly cool and if you want to go off trail at all the only way you can do that is with a machete because it's all poison oak and it's just like this is amazing it's just like such a cool place and it's so amazing that it's right here and i think the reason it's been wild of course is because there's basically one major way in and out Mm -hmm. of that and that's highway one um Mm -hmm. But oh, I I could uh, I could spend my rest of my days in Big Sur and be perfectly happy. <laughs> I
0: live a good life. Um, yeah, I've never been to Big Sur. I've heard incredible things through like storytelling. I've heard and seen incredible things. Um, so it definitely piques my interest to want to go. We've got to do some uh, you know domestic travel this year. Um, yeah. Well, cool. I love talking about these trips. Like you know, how can people help, uh, mammals? Like what, what should people consider if they want to invest? Uh, and yeah, let's talk about those three trips. I know we chatted about a couple of them, but, um, what's the, the process if someone was curious about, uh, you know, traveling with you guys.
2: Sure. Well, so the idea behind giving away one of these trips in return for the efforts of and support Of these early community owners Um, it's more than just a reward it really actually for us is a proof of concept because we talked about the power of having these in-person community events something like a convention where you can all gather well because we are a, a nature niche platform we can be even more creative than having everybody assemble in a in a a a hall together, right? Mm -hmm. Um, we can go and experience nature in person together and do that through guided trips that maybe involve some of these most popular content creators where you could go out and photograph with your photography icon, or you could go live stream in the middle of your safari with your favorite live streamer. Uh, and so, We want to gauge people's interest in doing these types of trips in a collaborative, community based way, because it might end up being something long in the mammals' future that is a new, well, a new business model for us, but really like the ultimate way to connect somebody with the natural world. And most of those trip opportunities, including the ones that we're giving away, um, the majority of the money goes directly toward the conservation of the resources that you're going to see. That's, awesome. That's where, That's where right. most of the money comes from, is, is from tourism and travel and the permits that you have to get to do that, right? right? And so it makes all the sense in the world that as we start to coalesce a community in a virtual space, that we eventually have options for them to come together in real life. And so this is option number one. <laughs>
1: I love it.
0: It's a great option, guys. I want to thank you so much for your time. This is uh, this is incredible. I like so much what you're doing. Um, the fact that you know you're helping on so many different fronts, whether it's with the content creators, whether it's just the enthusiasts, or conservation itself. I think it's just such an incredible um, you know path you're forging right now. And I wish you the best of luck. And uh, I don't really, frankly, think you need it though. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, Rob, Alex, thank you guys so much for your time. This has been great.
1: Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for joining.
0: If you like that episode, feel free to rate, view, and subscribe. That actually really helps. If you haven't seen it yet, take a look at the accompanying blog. Don't forget com, where you can read more and see photos for all the interviews. Until next time. Take care.